Good morning, everyone. Please turn your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 13. Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 13. Now the men and the wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our home to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, We have had borrowed money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are all the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and through our children are as good as theirs, Yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless, because our field and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pounded them in, uh, in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, As far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who are sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people, only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of a God to avoid the reproach of our Gentiles' enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses and also the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money grain, new wine and olive oil. We will give it back, they said and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. And I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they have promised. I also took, I shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way, may God shake out of their houses and position anyone who does not keep their, this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and empty. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Thank you, Brother Balaji, for reading God's, God's word. Uh, let's quieten ourselves as we come before His Word. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to You, Lord, for Your Word, which comes so powerfully and directly into our lives. O Lord, as we submit ourselves to learning Your Word, O Lord, we pray that You'll help us to be learners and doers as well. Father, we thank you, we honor you 
We pray for this time in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we start this sermon, as we study God's word, I'm assuming that we are, we are here for food. And before you conclude otherwise, I meant spiritual food. Of course, maybe there will be <coughs> good, good physical food as well. But focus your attention as uh, we study and meditate on Nehemiah chapter 5, the first 13 verses which were read to us. I don't know if you remember what we <coughs> did. That was 2011. We did a series on Nehemiah from chapter 1 till chapter 4. And um, it was all about building that wall by Nehemiah. And what was happening was that there was opposition to building that wall. And there was Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem. They were the enemies of the Jews and they were bringing objection and difficulties one after the other. I'm just giving you a background to where we are in, in, in chapter 5. So, first they said, they brought in derision, which is mocking, ridiculing. If you look at chapter 2 and, and verse 19, it says, but when Sanbaladi Hornai, Tobiah the Ammonite official and Gisham the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed. What, what is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? So they were bringing mock, mockery, the mocking and the ridiculing. That was the first thing that they tried to do. And what was the second thing? The second thing was that they brought in discouragement. They said, you know, it's a very weak structure. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3, they said, you know, it's a very weak structure. The fox will jump on this wall and the wall is going to break. These guys are putting in everything to build that wall and this is what they're saying that will break. And the, and the third is in same Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 11. When nothing worked, they said we are going to kill you if you continue like this. So there is some discouragement, danger. You know, there was a very, there was an intelligent and an educated man who was working in a king's palace and the king was very fond of him because he somehow knew all the answers. And so obviously there were opposition to it. And there are other, other people who were not happy. You know, it happens. There's jealousy. So they thought that, you know, we need to trap this guy. Now how to trap this guy? So they all got together and devised a plan. They said, next time, tomorrow when he comes before the king, we will come there and we'll ask him, do you know everything? And obviously he would say yes. The moment he says yes, We'll ask him, what? tell me what I'm thinking. And of course he doesn't know. So whatever he will say, we'll say that's the opposite. And that's how we'll expose him before the king. Okay, everything was planned. 
very well. Next day morning, the king is sitting there, this guy is standing there, the group comes, one of them asks, so you know everything? He said, yes. Tell me what I am thinking. And you know what he answered. He said that you are thinking how much you respect and admire the king. What will you say? He said, no, I'm not thinking that. You know, so what happens is that opposition is bound to be there. But what we are discussing or focusing on today is how to overcome. How to overcome. And that's what exactly is, is the passage today when we say justice matters. Justice matters. So there is derision, there is discouragement, and there is danger. But look at the resilience of Nehemiah. In all this, he is, he is not stopping his work. And today, the fourth thing that we are going to look at, which is even worse, is division and discord. Division and discord. So, if it was all happening outside, now it's happening inside. And that's what we're going to look at. There is internal conflict. When people get to get fighting with each other, their work becomes ineffective. And you know what? How the conflicts come? One of the main reasons of conflict is finances. Money brings conflict. And it's also an issue of justice and an issue of equity. And exactly that is what it was happening. Internal problems destroy more churches than external problems. Therefore, in the Bible, Jesus said, if a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 25. A house that is divided in itself, against itself, it cannot stand. So, if we do not deal with conflict, then the work of the Lord is going to be stopped in your life. If you are going to be a leader, you need to know how to resolve conflict. It's a management lesson. It's also there is a spiritual lesson as well. So, in this passage, we are going to look at it in two, two aspects. One is the causes of the conflict from verse 1 till verse 5 and the cure for the conflict as Nehemiah deals with it. So, let's look at the cause of the conflict. So, what was the conflict all about? The first thing that is that, that we see here is there is a food shortage. In verse 1 and verse 2, there is a food shortage. So we see that if you, if you read later, you find that there is famine. Resources and goods are in short supply. And there are more mouths to feed than the resources available. You may stop and ask, they are doing some good work, working for God. 
Yet why there was food shortage? Why this kind of problems come? You know, the assumption that we make in life is that if you are doing good, everything will be smooth. I want to tell you, it's not so. We are living in a fallen world and we are not immune to what the world brings in. So we cannot assume that if we do the work of the Lord, everything will be fine. It's not so. The first thing was the food shortage. The second was in, is, is in verse 3, it says they were mortgaging their homes. That's what we call a financial bondage. They were using their equity to feed their families. You know, if you are a, if you, in, in financial management, what we say is that the capital funds should not be used for revenue purposes. Meaning you cannot raise loan and, and run your household regular expenses so one one thing that you can carry back is that any capital that you raise should be used for capital expenditure the loan if you raise then you should buy an asset and you should not go and have a party in greater kailash somewhere in but anyway that's beside the point but there's there is a financial bondage because they were raising mortgage meaning raising money by mortgaging their houses and looking after their daily needs and that's not done third thing they were suffering under high taxes the taxes were very high in the in chapter and in verse 4 and even worse is going to come worse is that they were selling their children as slaves to pay the debts so they're taking debts mortgages using it to survive, paying taxes, then selling the children as slaves in order to repay the mortgage or the loan. You know, it's, it's terrible, isn't it? When you think of a situation, if you'll be in that situation. And that's exactly what was happening. But what was the root cause of that? The root cause of that, that was exploitation. The exploitation was that the rich Jews were basically exploiting the poor ones. Those who had money and had food, they were saying, if you'll sell me your house, I'll give you food. I'll lend you money, but the interest rates will be very high. And if you can't pay the loan, I will take your children as collateral. They were exploiting. There was exploitation in the community. Rather than helping and giving to the poor, they were charging interest. Totally disregarding the challenges and the misfortune the people were having. You know, one thing we must remember, God hates any form of injustice, any form of exploitation. You may tell me, why are you telling me all this? I'm not doing all that. I'm not charging interest. I'm not giving out loan and, uh, and trying to take away their property. Brothers and sisters, justice comes in small forms as well. How do you treat your maid at your home? 
how do you treat the people around you? Do you treat them with justice? Do you treat them with equity? Just because God has blessed you with something which you can share, are we taking advantage of that thing to reflect? Am I being just in all my ways? How do I treat the cab driver? Am I generous in that? Am I treating people with equity? That's in a DNA. That I think we need to all reflect and practice. God hates exploitation in any form and injustice in any form. Because God is a God of justice and God is a God of love. If Exodus, God has laid out some principles. He said in 22 verse 25, If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Do not charge an interest. There are biblical principles that God had given. So the principle is the root cause of conflict and discord is always exploitation. Look outside in the world what's happening. It's always exploitation and injustice that causes conflict. In the world history you can look at it. James chapter 1 and verse uh, James chapter 4 and verse 1 says what causes fights and quarrels among you don't they come from the desires that battle within you that is already a desire to be unjust that's our natural reaction the sinful reaction the natural reaction is to be unjust we have to practice justice and equity consciously in our lives. What causes conflict? In a, in a setup of a church, what, con what causes conflict is sometimes self-righteousness. When I think myself as better than you, we are going to have conflict. We are going to have division. When I misunderstand a situation or a person, when we assume wrong intent or assign wrong motive to another person and rushing into conclusions about that person, we create conflict. Watch out, SDC. In small and big ways, my, the cause of a conflict in the body of Christ. People tend to be selfish. If somebody is selfish with you, how do you respond? Do you become selfish? Or do you become generous? Very difficult. A spiritual exercise. So how is Nehemiah dealing with this whole issue? The cure for the conflict. How do we resolve conflict? You know, Nehemiah knew this whole thing can blow up. This can blow up in a situation, in, in a way that it will stop the building of the wall because there is internal conflict. There are rich Jews 
but it's from the poor ones, and poor ones are completely struggling. They don't know what to do. The work of the Lord could be stopped. That was the challenge that they were facing. They were, he was facing a situation where Jews were fighting the Jews. That's even worse than fighting an external enemy. So what did Nehemiah do? Please look at verse 6 of Nehemiah chapter 5. Ah. What does it say? It's written there. And I was angry. Very angry. Oh my goodness. He was not even angry. He was very angry. What was he, what was he angry at? He was angry at the injustice that was happening, the iniquity, the lack of generosity was happening in the body. He was very angry. Is it good to be angry? It's good to be, if you are angry, if the other person angry, you don't like it, right? Good, you know, I want to get angry, but I don't want the other person to get angry on me. You know, uh, Bible says, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, In your anger, do not sin. Doesn't say to don't get angry, but in your anger, do not sin. It's possible, is it possible to be angry and yet not sin? One of the first things we need to do if there is disharmony in the body of Christ, is to be angry. Does it upset you when such things happen? It does, isn't it? You feel upset about it. When we are wrongly accused of something, how do you feel? You feel upset, right? We need, we need to be upset, angry, but Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. I am for harmony in this church. I am for unity. I am for purity. The last thing that is needed is an internal struggle or internal conflict in the church, in the body of Christ. So Nehemiah got angry. That was the first reaction of Nehemiah. But what did he do? When you get angry, the next step that should happen is written in verse 7, the first part of verse 7. What did he do? It's all prescription is there in there. He got angry, then I consulted with myself and I did. Let's stop there. Then I consulted with myself. What was he doing? He got angry, but he rushed. In our, in our anger, what do we do? Go and dash the other guy. Or, or write something or say something. Send a WhatsApp message immediately. What have you done? What is this? What did Nehemiah do? Nehemiah stops. He consulted himself. Which, in other words, he reflects. He reflects. Think before you speak. 
If you do step one, which is to get angry, you should do step two, reflect, pause, consult yourself. There are certain, certain things you might feel upset about in the body of Christ. When you see selfishness, when you see injustice, when you see discord, when you see disharmony. But before you do anything, you need to take time to think, reflect and pray. James chapter 1 and verse 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. In our case, become first angry then slow to listen and immediately we speak, right? We hit back. We get angry, we hit back and then we listen what the person was saying. So this is the antidote for in your anger to not sin. How will you not sin when you are angry? When you become quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. That's the order. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And then probably your anger may not be there. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. So the step two is reflection. Step one was a natural reaction, the anger. Step two is to think, reflect, pray. Step three, the, the second part of verse seven. Rebuke privately, confront the offending party. And I rebuked the nobles, the rulers, and said to them, all of you exact, exact interest, every one of his brother, and I set a great assembly against them. So first thing, the, the next thing that he does is that he calls his people who were doing this, the, the, the rich people, the, the people who were exploiting. Do you know what risk he was taking? Who was funding the wall? Who was funding the wall? These are the people who were funding the wall. Meaning, he was standing up against those who were actually paying him to construct the wall. But he did so. He stood up. He called them and said, what are you doing? Why are you charging so much of interest? Is that right to do so? Rebuke privately confront the offending party. Try to understand what was happening. And you know what? In, in our setup, many times we give prayer requests. Please pray. I'm really burdened. Which is sometimes become like a sanctified gossip. So that prayer request spreads from here to there. Everybody knows what's going on. But going directly to the person and to the source. If someone has offended you, you go to someone else is not the right thing to do. And Nehemiah says, I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with it. 
you know, we don't want to confront people, right? We don't want to offend people. I'm talking to myself and I'm also talking to my co-leaders. Do we confront someone who is creating trouble in the body of Christ? Some time back, we as a leadership, we had to take that call. Because we thought that it was important that things need to be confronted. In my current role in the, in the DBF, there are situations when these things need to be confronted. But I need to keep unity. And uh, sometimes we need to deal with what brings disunity in the church. So, the leaders, we must have the courage to confront, speak the truth in love. Leadership requires courage. It's not a popularity contest. And if you try to please everyone, it will not work. That's what Nehemiah is doing here. In Titus chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, says pastors, elders and other leaders are commanded to warn the troublemakers. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are wrapped and sinful. They are self-condemned. One of the tasks of leadership is to warn troublemakers. And it's a very tough job to do. It's not easy. My humble appeal to each and every person in this church is to submit to the leaders who are here to serve you. Not every decision will go according to what you think is right. But trust your leadership in taking decisions for the larger good of the body of Christ. Okay, now we come to the last, the, the set four, which is public resolution. Publicly deal with public divisions. So, this is a situation where everyone knows what is happening. The rich are exploiting the poor and it needs to be dealt publicly. So, what Nehemiah does is the last part is that, and I set a great assembly against them. So, he takes guts. He deals with them privately, but then he calls the assembly because the people who were exploited needs to be addressed as well. It's not only about the people who are exploiting, but people who have been exploited. So those people, they need to be also dealt with or at least addressed. So he calls a great assembly of people. So he takes it seriously, gets angry about it, reflects and thinks through, calls them privately and then calls the big assembly. And he says in verse 9, what, are you, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid reproach of our Gentile enemies? So he's appealing to that conscience. He's saying that what you are doing is bringing bad name, bad testimony. And everyone else is laughing at you. Those people are supposed to be godly people and they are buying and selling each other into slavery and ripping them with high interest. Discord is always a poor testimony. 
in verse 10 and 11 likewise my brethren my servants might exact of them money and corn i pray you let us leave off this interest so he's making an appeal to these people leave off and what was the result in verse 12 if you look at verse 12 when he appeals what happens is that they repented they relented but very interestingly he does something very interesting in verse verse 13 so when they repented what nehemiah does he was having a, a cloth which he was wearing around him so he removes that cloth or apron and he shakes it shakes it and says this is a symbol of what god is going to do to you if you do not keep this oath that you have taken today this is how god is going to deal with you and the entire congregation said amen including the people against whom he was appealing we are going to end here but if you continue to read the rest of the chapter you what will find there is nehemiah not only did all this but he practiced it he set it up as an example of unselfishness he you will see that he is feeding the poor he was helping them he was doing all that he could do with his personal wealth he was setting an example setting an example nehemiah says as a leader i have modeled unselfishness i have not exploited people not taken advantage of their misfortune his contrasting his approach with the people who had who were wealthy he could say with a clear conscience that please follow my example and that's the mark of leadership as we conclude this morning I want to tell you that we are in a great adventure for God. Whenever you want to build something there will be discord. The challenge will be disunity. Just as there are disunity from outside there's pressure from outside but disunity and discord from inside and it is absolutely essential to work for unity of the body of Christ. there will be problems there will be difficulties but the last thing that we need is people nitpicking at each other and causing problems and causing dissension so what is our responsibility that's my challenge to each of you what is my responsibility what is your responsibility ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3 is the job description for every sdc member every person who is here efficiency chapter 4 and verse 3 shall we read it together it's on the screen endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace anyone would like to read a niv version 
I like that because it says make every effort. Make some, make some effort, little effort, no. Every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. And that is the challenge I want to leave with each and every of you. In your Bible, maybe you should circle every effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And that is the job description that I'm asking you to take. Every effort. At all costs, maintain peace, maintain unity. Internal differences will be there. Whenever there's a gathering of people, there will be differences. There's nothing called a perfect church. There's nothing called a perfect family. There is nothing called a perfect business. There is nothing called a perfect office space where we work. But make every effort to give the unity of the spirit to the body of Christ. The testimony of a church should not be beautiful buildings or great sermons or technology or music. But the mark of a Christian, Jesus said, by this, we read it in the, in the uh, reminder of the week. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? How? If you have love for one another. That you love one another. That is exactly how we know if we love one another. If we make every effort to keep unity and peace in the body of Christ. In the book of Acts, the disciples, the apostles, they were of one accord and together. And that's how they achieved a lot of things. Individually, we cannot do it. But together, we form this body called Delhi Bible Fellowship. The South Delhi congregation. We can do a lot if we keep the unity in the body of Christ. By this shall everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another and make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the powerful reminder to keep unity. To make effort to keep unity and to love one another. Father, we pray, help South Delhi Congregation of Delhi Bible Fellowship to model it as we go out into this world. In Jesus' name.